behavior. Do you want it? You're dying for it. Hello, hello, hello. This is the What Is This Behaviour podcast and you're listening to the sound and voice of Almas Badat. <laughs> what Is This Behaviour is a podcast with three co-hosts, myself, Aaron Christian and Ruben Christian, and we speak to South Asian creatives around the world who are going against the grain. In this episode, episode 81, which is part of our South Asian Heritage Month celebrations, we invited sports expert Danielle Khan, best known for working with Arsenal FC, Soccer Aid, FIFA, EA Sports and loads more. We invited Danielle down to the IMG HQ in London to record our first ever live podcast episode with an audience. Recording live together brought a different element of energy. Danielle schooled us on how his entry into the world of sports started with his obsession with sports commentary. As a true observer inspired by Anthony Bourdain, Danielle's use of sports as a vehicle into culture is apparent through his thought-led video editorials and interviews. He's really sure of who he is and it shows. Without saying too much, let's get straight into episode 81, featuring Danielle Khan. And I'll catch you on the other side. Let's run it. What is this behavior? All right, welcome to the What Is This Behavior podcast. This is where myself, Almas, Aaron, and Ruben. We've been doing um, three years and she's pointing at I know, I'm pointing at Aaron there. Um, Join forces um, to talk to South Asian people amongst ourselves and the wider global community um, with South Asian people going against the grain. And the grain itself is the expectations or any kind of expectations we have as a social group, as a racial group. And so we speak to lots of different people around the world from chefs to jewelry makers, to actors, to poets, um, to head of PRs at places like Nive Nation. And then today we're speaking to Danielle Khan um, to find out a little bit more about what he does, who he is and how we're looking at the sports mm. landscape today and just to build on what Emma said the the grain is also for us when we were kind of trying to develop the I guess the why of the podcast mm. is also um, stereotypes right so kind of expectations and stereotypes within the South Asian community um, and so that was a big driver for building up the pod and figuring out some of the guests that we wanted to speak to so traditionally we had stereotypes of you know <coughs> South Asians working in accounts and medicine which are great things but we also kind of do other things um and today's really exciting because sport was one of the hardest um when we first launched a pod so we had we had arts we had theater we had music we had fashion um and we were looking and researching across how long has it been maybe three and a half years since we've been doing the pod and 80 plus guests um sports is really difficult so i think having danielle here today As in finding people in sports. finding people in sports and you know let's discount cricket but you know sports within football and 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 maybe maybe cricket and boxing was the only ones that were really we were prevalent in so um i'm super personally excited to kind of like deep dive and get your insight into sports in general and then maybe specifically football and and the culture and um some of the stereotypes and how we can break some of the stereotypes and so yeah just particularly excited about today's theme as well man appreciate it i mean who are you what's going on <laughs> so um yeah i'm still trying to figure that out um no um i'm daniel khan uh i'm a presenter born and raised in west london um and 
I'd been dreaming of being a presenter since I, well, a commentator since I was like 13. Um, and basically imposter syndrome and growing up in an Asian community, I felt like invisibly kind of limited me mm. or held me back um, to to now where- Where uh, was growing up? Like, oh, West, West London near, near Heathrow. So I have this story, it's not confirmed at all. Um, <laughs> where my, my dad landed in Heathrow, December 80 something. It was definitely 80 something. And he just handed the cab driver a fiver and said, take me as far as this goes. So we ended up just outside Heathrow um, and we've not left. We've been That's there the best since. opener for your bio. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't lie. I like to say it was a true story, but um, yeah, we were unconfirmed, but I'll go with it. It sounds good. So um, yeah, I grew up there and um, dreamed of being a presenter and fast forward to today. Um, happy to say that I, I present for Arsenal Football Club, who I love. Um, presented for. We got any Arsenal fans in any, the building? Oh, I just had to. So, so yeah, presenter, <laughs> presenter for Arsenal Football Club, uh, presenter for FIFA at the 2022 World Cup, um, presenter at Soccer Aid, um, Sky Sports, and a few other cool platforms. So, so yeah, nice. Round of applause for Daniel, yeah. please. <laughs> Come on, Daniel. <laughs> and and when you say presenter, I know that's like you, there's different layers to what mm. you do. Is is that online? Is that in the live space? Is that television? Is it digital? Where do you present? Where so you? so it's it's all of those. So I've uh, I've presented in the live uh, space uh, as well, um, but mostly my work lives on socials, on YouTube, on streaming platforms. So I'd say digital space, and um, I'm I'm glad that you asked that because a lot of the times when people people that I've come across that say, oh, what do you do? They say, I'm a, I'm a content creator, I'm a presenter, I'm like all of the things within that space, but um, I'm not talented enough to be good at all of those. So <laughs> um, I've, I've been blessed with like just one concentrated thing and that's being a presenter. So I don't formally create any of my own content. It's just that I go on platforms that I love um, and I try and paint a picture on their behalf by chatting to interesting people. Oh, for context, <laughs> whenever we're doing this podcast, there's moments where all of us grab the mic at the same time and take a breath and we look around and we're like, who should ask the next question? You're going to see that a lot. But you know, it's different because it's live this time. Because normally we do it over Zoom and, and have international guests. Hold on, this is our first live podcast ever, actually. Give it up, IMG. Yay! <laughs> Give it up, you. I was going to big us up, but I was like, yeah. Give it up, him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of want to circle back and to the younger version of you and, sure. and talk about that presenter thing. So one thing that uh, us three talk about when we do episodes without guests is our own creative journeys and kind of coming at a point where the digital landscape was starting to emerge. So, you know, we're studying and working our asses off to try to get into the industry just at the perfect time when that industry was changing and shifting. Um, so yeah, kind of felt at times that we've maybe wasted years working towards this kind of, space while this one is emerging like how did that feel for you you say you always wanted to be a presenter yeah. right like yeah so did it always feel like you wanted to be on tv and then it changed like how can you explain a little bit about i felt thoughts? like so i'll be honest so my first dream because i didn't actually know what a presenter was i didn't know what a content creator was i didn't know what anything was or what i did know though is that there was a thing called football commentary i was mm. like where you're watching a game and like you're seeing what's happening, but then there's this voice behind it that is summarizing perfectly exactly how you're feeling, exactly how everyone in the stadium's feeling. So um, that was the first dream I had. I remember I was 13 in my room and I wrote in, 
I, I, That's so specific. Yeah, yeah, I, was, yeah, I remember. And also, I was going to say I wrote in my diary, but I don't think I had a diary. I just found like a piece of, I found a book that oh, wasn't receipt. being used yeah, yeah. yeah, for my mum's recipes or something. So um, I just wrote, good evening around the world. This is Daniel Khan. Welcome to the FIFA <laughs> World Cup. And I just imagined myself commentating at a World Cup. And um, from, from a very early age, if I was watching wrestling, mm. I love wrestling, man, all my days. Yeah. Um, wrestling, <laughs> football, whatever I was watching, um, I'd, I'd sometimes turn the volume down and I would just take over. Yeah. So I'd be, I'd be like commentating on it or I'd be bringing the picture. And to be honest, uh, I'm 30 and I still do that today as well, I, I won't lie. Um, I just, not because I feel like I'm better, I just feel like I've got something to say. Yeah. <laughs> and um, who, who better to impress than me and my wife, obviously. You know, <laughs> so if you were like commenting right now on The Room, what would you, how would you go into character? What would you say? Damn, you put me on the spot. Well, someone someone would need to be put through a table uh, for me to like mention, <laughs> or, or someone would need to score something. This is quite a, a this is a pretty relaxed room. With I was the, gonna say it's just stagnant energy. Yeah, there's a, no, I can feel no, no, but it's not stagnant though because I can feel, through the eye contact I can feel like some different vibes. I feel like me and my guy over here will be really good friends. I can't lie in the brown shirt. I don't know why. Um, Maybe so, the yeah, Arsenal. Can it? Like, I just feel like you know. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling the energy, but I, I wouldn't, unless someone was to be put through a table or score a great goal, um, I'd, have, I'd have nothing for you. So if, <laughs> if anyone wants to do that, feel free. Yeah, yeah. so, so it's, like, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's very unscripted and very reactive. Yeah. Because I've, I've seen you, I think you're such a great host and MC, by the way. So I've come down to one of his event, uh, events, South Asian Creatives, that was in uh, Box Park in Wembley, wasn't it? Um, and I just watched how you commanded the stage, how you were listening, how you were asking questions. And I think you're really, really good. And what I absolutely love about you, and we talked about this the last time we spoke, is that you have this ability to find the right moments for lightness. And I don't think everyone can do that. You can, like, you can navigate both depth and just absolute lunacy. <laughs> and I just absolutely love presenters that do that. So I just wanted to gas you first and foremost. Thank you. And then the other question I want to ask as well is, okay, so you were commentating when you were younger, just writing on the chewing gum packets or whatever, but are you also naturally that person in the family system? Are you the guy that's chatting a lot, taking a piss out of the uncles and aunties? Is that you? Yes, I was that. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, um, I don't know if anyone else can relate to this apart from the Asians in the room, but you know, there was always that cousin or someone that would just do dances for people in the family. So like... <laughs> So like your family would turn up and they'd be like, oh, do this dance. Oh, yeah. And then you just find yourself up there. I was that kid. Um, so yeah, I was dancing um, and people would applaud for me. And then, um, so there, I was listening to a podcast back in the day where they would have this thing called the look at me gene. So it's like this gene inside you that no matter how big or small it is, there's like a little thing where you either like people looking at you or you don't like people looking at you. And clearly when I was like <laughs> smashing up Cheya Cheya, uh, which is a Bollywood banger for people that don't know. Clearly, I had that look at me, Gene. So I was I was always performing in somewhere or the other. And my mum actually enlisted me in um, this uh, performing arts theatre called Chicken Shed. That that was just a really cool, creative upbringing of expression as well, yeah. because it just threw us into the deep end with people we didn't know or people that react in different ways to us. So yeah. always um, always had that bit of creative energy in me. And then I went to. Um, this uh, academy in London called John Robert Powers, which is like an acting academy. Um, and I've got a diploma in adult sitcom. So uh, never used it. Um, yeah, so, um, so like, like all my other formal qualifications. So yeah, quite, quite a creative <laughs> upbringing without actively trying to pursue anything in creative spaces. But did, did you feel any resistance from your parents? Because I know a, a lot of South Asian um, 
people that there's always that kind of tension between speaking to their parents whether they get permission not mm. getting permission still having i don't know the bravery to to kind of pursue it it sounds like your mother was actually a big champion of you know your kind of creativity and but like is can you tell us a little bit more about yeah. that maybe yeah so when my when i was born uh, apparently according to my dad's friend my dad said i'm going to make my one a doctor and one a lawyer that's why I'm going to make them. So um, <laughs> no stereotypes there. Um, so, but my mum was my mum was very open. She was born and raised in like West around Shepherd's Bush, and she was very into us just expressing ourselves. Mm. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure if my dad, if if when he was looking at what I was doing, I'm not sure if he was thinking, oh yeah, can't wait for him to be an actor. Maybe he was just letting me do my thing until it was time to get serious. But mm. looking back on it, looking back on it, I hadn't thought about this for so long. But looking back on it, yeah. I guess there wasn't much barrier for me and I guess I had I did have a lot of um, support to be able to kind of express myself in these ways but I don't know how it would have been if it was time to get serious and go this is what I want to do with my life now but clearly in my formative years my mum was giving me all the tools I needed to just be crazy and just express myself so yeah grateful shout out to the mum yeah <laughs> um so in terms of looking at the South Asian community in sports mm. How, what would you say is the current scope of how, how many, do you see lots of South Asian people in sports? Yeah, so I'll, I'll preface that with the reaction when I first got the call to present for Arsenal, because mm. that's the first thing I'd ever done on camera. So I had no presenting experience before. Uh, it was just, we were coming up off the end of COVID and I just got a phone call and a guy I knew there said, listen, I don't have time to tell <laughs> my people that you're good at what you do, but I just know you're good at what you do. Like, I know you, I know you can do this. Can you come to the Emirates and interview Meza Ozil? And wow. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, but yeah, I'm gonna do it. So I had my eight mile moment, you know, like Eminem <laughs> when he's in the, so I literally pulled up to the Emirates. So we found out at like 4 p.m. and then we were on our way home. And then Rida was like, well, you're not going to go and interview him looking like that, are you? So I, then I had to call my barber and get a trim at like 11 p.m. <laughs> and the next day when we were there, I had to have a word with myself in the toilet and say, since the age of 13, you've been talking to yourself about how you're meant for this. So now finally, what, 13 years later, you've finally been given an opportunity to try and prove that you weren't just chatting to yourself. Like, this is time yeah. to do this now. So I had that chat with myself went out and uh, luckily it went really well. Um, and that's how I started my journey. But I say that to say that the biggest reaction wasn't, oh my God, like you interviewed Ozil, or mm. oh my God, you work for Arsenal. The biggest reaction was, oh my God, I cannot believe a Pakistani guy with a surname like Khan is on a platform like Arsenal. Like mm. it wasn't even like, mm. oh, you're interviewing one of the biggest footballers in the planet. It was, we can't believe someone that looks like us or has a name like that is in a space that is not designed for Asian people. Because yeah. I think the Asian creative scene is thriving, it always is, but what, what I feel is our biggest strength is to kind of come together and create our own platforms. But then the problem is when we create the own, our own platforms, the wider companies kind of leave us in the box. It feels the, a bit isolated Yeah, the Asian networks yeah. or the, like everything that you have to talk about has to be focused around Asians, yeah. whereas, um, for me, a lot of people were messaging me and speaking to me and saying, we're so inspired that we're seeing someone look like us in a space like Arsenal. Yeah. But since I've joined, I've actually realized there's, um, there's a presenter called Nubaid Haroon Rambo. He's like a, a, a big like source of inspiration for me. He does uh, work on some big platforms. 
And um, when you're in the industry, you do look around and realize there's not a widespread amount of them because often when I'm going into spaces, I still am one of the only mm. brown people in the room. But it is slowly creeping up where I'm noticing a lot more on-screen yeah. Asian so you're talent. talking about on-screen talent yeah. from the media reporting Exactly, side, right? yeah, like, okay. you know, being on camera or creating the content or even just being the producer because, like, I think people... I think people underestimate how important a producer's role is in like, you can come and crack the jokes, but how am I gonna package this and craft, and, it. And craft it and make sure that this is delivered and makes sense in format. Yeah. So um, I, as, as always, there are some faces, but um, more needs to be done, I think. Mm. I just wanna double We've all got oh, questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we started to talk about feelings now, man. Let's, <laughs> let's get into it, man. Like, so I've been working as a presenter, I've done stand-up for a couple of years. I've been doing it now for about 20, you know, trying to get into the industry as well. And and earlier on for me, I always found that I was the o definitely the only South Asian person, mm. if not the only person of colour, right? Mm. But if we if we like if we nuancing it down to South Asianness, I was clearly by my by myself. Mm. Um, and what I found in reflection, years of therapy understanding this <laughs> shit, um, was that I felt that, but I suppressed it. Right. And I just built layers upon layers of resilience to not feel othered and in order to try to feel like I belong and smash my way through. But as I unpeeled the layers, I realized there was, I don't know, there's almost like a grieving that I've yet to do about those feelings that come up. So I think the question is to you, is when you were noticing that you are the only South Asian person, mm -hmm. Did you feel lonely? Did you suppress it? Was it upsetting you? Did you try to ignore it and just accept it as the status quo? Like, what was the internal experience of navigating that early days? So That's a really great question. Yeah, it? so it's, it's really interesting because I got into the creative game so late, I felt like I'd spent so much time trying to figure myself out that I wasn't having to figure myself out parallel to trying to forge a career. So I wasn't like trying things to see, oh, would this work or do I belong here? I was just growing as like a 25, 26, 27 year old, comfortable with who I am. And then I stepped into the game. So it was like the other way around. But growing up in creative spaces, grime, grime music, grime culture was like, I don't even know how to describe to you. Like m that was my life. Yeah. Like whether like I was revising to GCSEs, listening to like freestyles, or I'm going to grime raves, or I'm I'm going to the back room and saying I'm in the I'm on the guest list because I couldn't find a ticket, and then somehow sneaking into events. So when I was there, again, I was one of the only Asian people, but I didn't feel like a lack of it. I just felt I felt I resonated so much with grime culture yeah, sure. that I didn't really feel other. Yeah. You felt um, accepted via that. Yeah, I did. I felt, the, I felt the, accepted. The joy for that. Yeah, I felt, ex I felt medium. accepted. Yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously, that with that it came, came its downsides because I would never go with my home friends to mm. these grime events. Like I'd go with like one of my friends from East London. So then it felt like at home I had this life where there was brown people all around me and we all knew about the same things and we all know about the the cultural nuances of being Asian. And then when I wanted to go and do my, the things that I was actually interested in, I wouldn't have any Asians that wanted to, that wanted to come with me or thought it was a place for them as well. Mm. So inadvertently, there, I was the only Asian there, but I'd be lying if I said I felt like outcast yeah. by it or, or lonely by it. And I think that I think that stems from when I was in when I was going to these grime raves, I wasn't trying to forge a place for myself. I was just loving life. I was yeah. just enjoying life as a young Londoner. And um, then when it came to actually working in this space, I f I'm still not sure who I am, but 
I think I had a better degree of who I am, what I want and what I don't want, mm. as opposed to someone that's 21 trying to make their yeah. way in the game, if that makes sense. And I'm just <laughs> and, and has that carried over into the bigger spaces that you're doing, Arsenal and some of these other places, right? So I'm still guessing that the majority of those spaces are white people. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And and do sure. you still feel totally centered in self or is there other things that might be going on? Yeah, so time? I just feel grateful and I feel a sense of responsibility. Mm. I'm like, let's go, man. Like I am at Soccer Aid or uh, I am at Arsenal or I'm at the or I'm at Sky Sports and I'm a Pakistani guy. And when someone asks me my name, I'm not going to do that lazy thing that I've been doing for years and say my name's Daniel. So I'm yeah. going to say my name's Daniel. And if they don't get it the first time, I'm going to wait and give them another chance <laughs> until they've got my name right. Yeah. To what it is when did you start doing that oh bruv late you know uh when did i start doing that when i got on cat so when i got on camera i was like wait so now now you know john from you know wherever john's from um <laughs> he like i can tell him dan because i need to save time but now when i go on camera and i'm about to intro myself mm. this video if if it matches up is gonna get like hundreds of thousands yeah, of views. I think, I think that's really important though because football obviously its audience is global, mm. right? And so sometimes we can feel that we're just speaking to maybe the UK if you're yeah, yeah, sure. like in Arsenal in the Premier League and so but just you know how you know, just seeing how many players are moving over to the Oof. to the Arabs yeah. um you know leagues and stuff, it's probably important because you don't do you realise that now your audience isn't just a Western audience. Yeah. It's a truly global audience. So someone hearing you pronounce that and they may be in like Asia or yeah. North Africa or something that probably resonates even more as well. Yeah, right? that, that's who I do it for. I, I can't lie. There is there is this responsibility in my head that fine, if I'm one of the only ones or if I'm one of the first ones, then I feel I've got a duty to myself. I've got a duty to my grandparents who like took a risk and came over here. Mm. I've, I've got that responsibility to kind of represent properly. Yep. And um, for example, I've been in so many interviews with like a, I don't know, like a footballer and they'll mention something and then there'll just be something that reminds me of like something my auntie would have said or when my mum's like cooking some sort of dish and I'll like openly reference that into in the interview yeah. just not not deliberately it just comes naturally but I like the idea of you being able to watch like this global platform and hear someone talk about their mum's biryani do you yeah. know what I mean I just yeah. like the idea of that coming up as as like a normal part of conversation you know? it sounds like I'm placing you and and different kinds of presenters on screen in these places is an asset to comms and platforms and the sports scope, I suppose, in general. Yeah, I think so. But I think context is important to that um, mm -hmm. because a lot of people in charge, they're not they're not choosing a diverse or different talent pool um, because um, how do I say this? Because there might be someone in this room who does that. Um, <laughs> um, so they're not choosing the pool because they like the idea of this really nice multicultural landscape. They're doing it because there are certain boxes that need to be ticked and there are certain there are certain things that people online are engaging with. So they need to like jump on that a bit more. Um, when you say that, like what type of things are engaging? Like? So for example, there needs to be like, for example, an Asian person might, a, a, an Asian person or uh, a person of like black heritage or, or 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 whatever might be placed on the camera because it's the flavor of the month, right? Got it. Okay. So that so that's what that's what the conversation is where context is key. So yeah, okay. I might consider myself an asset 
because I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm bringing a different angle or I'm bringing a different cultural standpoint. But th me seeing myself as an asset or them seeing me as an asset for a month isn't quite like cutting it. It needs, yeah. it needs to be like, there needs to be, I'm gonna it's not the right type of progress. Yeah, it, it, okay. yeah, it's it's kind of like oh, I hear what you're saying. You're you're giving me the the pass now because it's what's in. Mm. Kind of like when I noticed like Pizza Express did a vegan menu. I was like, oh, okay, you're doing vegan now because the pressure's on. Yeah, okay. like you know, okay. vegans getting a bit more income. Vegans getting a bit <laughs> more shine. You know. Okay, so so, so um, I think I think while while it's positive in a short term, in a in a in a long term, it needs to be widened out and pushed out that people from different backgrounds don't just have like a, a, a voice or an opportunity to speak on something in a short period of time. It needs mm. to be across like, like a longer period yeah. of time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, if it's okay with you guys, I, I'd, I'd love to kind of get some insight into and maybe some of your ideas on how it's been like um, from a sports athlete pers perspective. So... <clears throat> For me, and I could be wrong here, so for me, like looking at the Premier League, let's focus mm. on the Premier League and football, um, I think the only Asian, and I'm talking about East Asian and South Asian player I can think of in the Prem is Alphonse Areola, the mm -hmm. Filipino, yeah, yeah. French um, goalkeeper. Um, from kind of working in, in the space now, um, what are your kind of insights? Like, does are there any conversations happening at the clubs as to why maybe there is a lack of Asian players within the whole kind of uh, industry and from a grassroots perspective? Because I've been really racking my brain as to why we as a community don't get into that space yeah. more. I'm sure it's not down to lack of talent, um, but just one is pretty yeah, scary. It's, it, when, when I was listening to Kick It Out, I think they, they had a sort of a stat that they were saying that if they if we were to proportionally look at the south asian population versus how many of them should then be footballers mm. the metric was supposed to be something like there should be 13,000 footballers in the total football pyramid yeah yeah and not not just the premier league it should be like right from the bottom like barely semi professional to the top there should be 13,000 footballers and there's 300 <laughs> So that 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 yeah. says a lot. I yeah. think that says a lot. And, and listen, I can't lie. I was thinking this in the car. Yeah, maybe a little. There's a thin line between comedy and tragedy, because we're sick at cricket, man. <laughs> what can I say? So they're they're telling me to stick to cricket because I don't know Pakistan and yeah. India do, and, do and Bangladesh were mashing up think cricket. It's something apart from from our culture as well. Like I'm. I'm well, like, no, of course, as in of course not there being is. encouraged internally within yeah. the community. Well, of course, of course, because I don't think I don't think ath athletics or being an athlete for people of our parents or our grandparents' generation was on the agenda when they were flying across the world for like a better life, yeah. which makes sense. We, athletes make big banks, so I don't know where they went wrong there, but um, they, they came over here and they were like, right, what do we need? We need like financial stability. We need uh, education. We need to like as aspire to like have a job that we can be proud to tell people about. And in their culture, just being an athlete wasn't on the agenda. So I actually know loads of people in my area that were amazing footballers mm. that were at academies when they were younger. And then they just had to make the decision of going to uni or uh, studying in finance. Like one of my friends definitely could have been a professional goalkeeper. There's no doubt about it. But he, um, he decided to stick to um, priorities that maybe were pressured on him internally, but also around him as well. But I mean, 
there are there are some prominent footballers, particularly in the women's game, that are coming through. Um, Asmita Ale from Aston Villa. She's just moved to Spurs. She's in England under 23 international, and she's a baller. Um, you've got Sam Kerr, who is for me the best female footballer on the planet. Um, she's um, um, She's of South Asian heritage, even though she plays for Chelsea, it does hurt me a bit. <laughs> um, and then obviously in the men's game as well, you've got people like Hamza Chaudhry of Bangladeshi uh, heritage. He lifted a world, uh, sorry, he lifted a FA Cup and I just couldn't believe it. I, I remember looking at that going, that is like an Asian brother. And he's got the name on that. Lifting, <laughs> lifting the FA Cup yeah. at Wembley. And um, if I feel like that, yeah. right? Like I've, I know loads of other people like that. And I guess, uh, I, I know loads of other people will feel like that. And I guess that age old token term of representation matters. It really, really does. Yeah. Because when you see people like that. It's the possibility. Im yeah, imagine the kid that is not sure whether he can be a footballer watching Hamza Chowdhury yeah. lift. You know, he's like, this guy eats yeah. the same food I does. Yeah. I, I do. He gets told off by his mum the same way I do. Yeah. Or he's got to <laughs> get up for this. Or he's got to go. He goes Friday prayer like I do. Or he links up with the family like I do. Mm. Or he, him and his cousins like sleep on the floor with a big sleepover, like them big yeah. Asian cousin sleepovers. Like it, all them. All, but really then that, he's also a top footballer. It's you know? internalized as well. Because we had a, I remember maybe about two years ago, we had an episode, me, Ruben, Alma. So we do guest episodes on the pod and then ones between us. And we had a conversation around um, fitness in our body. And there was a massive conversation between me and Ruben, I think, internalized for years when we're young. We just thought, because we're South Asian, we're not meant to be athletic. Absolutely. There was obviously some really mm. terrible thoughts of like, genetically, we're just not made up for mm. this. And um, and I think we used to play basketball for years and we were and I, I represented England at one point, went to Denmark and, and played and- Did you? Yeah. That's yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Young age, under no, 14. But yeah, I think it's those, those things, right? If seeing someone that's actually done it does squash a lot of those doubts and, um, yeah, I think that's that's just really, really important. Yeah, just building on that, I just think our whole podcast has been about that. It's been about stories of possibility, right? It's been about evidence. If you see, hear, and feel evidence of people like you in spaces that you don't usually think you occupy, that just opens just a realm of possibility. And if you're younger, it's almost like if you if we can get those stories to the younger generation, it's prevention over cure and corrective work later on. Mm -hmm. So that is what the podcast is about and that's what these mm -hmm. conversations are about. So I, I guess building on, on that kind of like idea, do you have a lot of South Asian youngsters coming to you and seeing <laughs> you as inspiration and maybe asking for advice on how to get into the industry? Yeah, so I don't <laughs> wanna I don't wanna say inspiration. Um, Own it, man. Yeah, but I, I would say yeah. that those are the conversations I have most frequently. Mm. Um, not, ju not just kids from South Asian backgrounds, but mostly I think they, they feel like it's a safe space where like this person can like have conversations with me that like that I can relate to. Um, but yeah, just uh, day before yesterday, I was um, just sending this link to this um, kid who was like, well, listen, I'm finishing my A-levels and I don't know what direction I want to take. So I was just sending him some programs he could look into and talking to him about some advice so there are loads of people there are loads of young people that come up to me the main things obviously they ask is like how do you get to interview footballers <laughs> and i'm like listen uh, that that it does sound amazing like if i was sitting in english gcse like bored i'd be like yeah i'd rather interview meza ozil but i i always try and come back at them and try and get them to ask the right questions not how do you get on camera with a famous footballer 
but it's like that should just be the result yeah that that's the result but like what do you want to do like is there something in you do you like painting a picture do you like telling stories are you a good conversationalist because being on the camera the end product is not the only role that's possible mm -hmm. and it's kind of like that with football as well like some people feel like if i can't be a player then i'm not involved in football mm -hmm. but there are so many there are so many skills or there's so many dynamics it's like the age-old thing of like when you hear about like rappers like for example stormzy yeah Look, side tangent but it'll make sense like <laughs> St stormzy so oh, how do you build a team around stormzy to become a world-class athlete well my brethren here has got a bit of a gift of the gab. All right, cool. So I'm gonna make him like my partnerships manager. Oh, uh, this guy's always been really good with finances. All right, cool. I'm gonna make him my accountant or whatever. Oh, this guy's uh, like a real organizer. I'm gonna make him my tour manager. So it's it's kind of like there are so many components to what makes Stormzy's like I uh, like the Stormzy show run. And I think that's the same thing. I try and say to them that don't don't just look at being on camera because there are some people that are not meant to be on camera or there are some people that don't there are some people that don't want to be on camera either <laughs> not just not, not not meant to be is a bit cold Aaron yeah. you're so naughty yeah not not, me not meant <laughs> we to, all felt it no but not meant to be is a bit wait, cold wait, but wait, I missed that didn't I <laughs> <laughs> no but not meant to be on camera which is what? How who? dare you say someone's not meant to? Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but, I mean? but for but for like, there are some people that are not meant to be, and also there are some people that don't want to be, but they mm. feel the pressure. They feel like the yeah. only way I'm going to be validated yeah. is if I've got yeah. a million followers or yeah. if I'm on TikTok telling people about my life. But do you find a validation thing? Sorry to cut yeah, in, sorry, but from the younger generation, yeah. do you find that is a, a thing that's a big driver for them? Hundred percent. Yeah. I think. I think. I think we all. We're. We're yeah. not. We're like. We're not of the generation we're talking about. But I feel like we all, in some way, feel a sense of validation when our our post on Instagram bangs, or like people are messaging us saying, "Oh my god, that food you made is so good." Or when we're on holiday and people are, like, "Oh my god, I can't wait to be on holiday like that. I'm so jealous." Like we all feel that sense of validation. Mm. So imagine being younger, being a little less sure of who you mm. are being a little less sure about what you want to do with your life and you're constantly being shown you're constantly being shown the end result without the process yeah. in terms yeah, of yeah, getting yeah, there yeah, yeah. so whenever i speak to young people <clears throat> i always try and get them to ask the right questions or ask themselves the right questions and um, try and give them steps so that so that they're not ultimately chasing something that five years down the line they'll realize they never wanted because <laughs> um, i've been i've been there yeah. I've, I've been there like i wasn't just sitting around dreaming of being a presenter and then I became a presenter at the age of 26. Mm. I was flogging blankets and bedsheets in a van. I, I was collectively yeah, with my, with, like, with my dad, I was running, I was that typical Asian kid helping his dad run a family business. We'd like get up, go to the warehouse, drive to Manchester, sell things, <laughs> drive back. Like that, that was me for Hustle. until I had an epiphany. I was like, I can't lie. I might be a little too talented for this. I can't <laughs> like <that. laughs> But I then got I then got the I then got the opportunity. But mm. I thought in my life, oh yeah, just make money, get an established business, you know, buy a house, live a settled life. Mm. And I realized that wasn't for me. And yeah. what was actually for me was the thing that I was dreaming about when I was thirteen. So yeah. This is a question for you, Danielle, but also for anyone in the room. But what do we think is the if we're thinking about the sports industry in the future, um, by including more and more South Asian people and in generally just including more people, um, how how does this positively affect business in sports? So I think I think culture 
culture is always going to be the driving force and the the most interesting thing is culture is not really tangible there's no metrics to what culture is but anyone that resonates with culture or understands culture knows that when you get it right magic happens so for example cbs is this channel that is taking the world by storm and causing all these disruptive conversations why because we've been so used to really corporate level broadcasting and we've been used to hearing about football in different ways uh, sorry in the same way that now when we look at cbs and michael richards and thierry Henry are having conversations with burner boy or they're having conversations about where they get their trims or they're having conversations about what they're wearing on a live football show it resonates with us in a in a completely different way and i think i think that is a big lesson to people that are speaking from a organizational point of view that it is okay to how do i put this it's okay it's okay to have division in opinion like for example sometimes when people are trying to make the right decision they're like we need to appease as many people as possible like we need to uh, blanket as many people as possible keep 60 million people happy but if you take a little chance and try and appeal to a slightly smaller pool of people you can create greater conversations and actually invite people that normally you might think are, are not interested in that world you can invite them into your world which so. could potentially open up new markets and no, new audiences right 100 yeah. because like i said see like I'd, i've never ever felt the need to watch like an american focused platform talk about football content because um you know i grew up in england and i think England knows everything about football. <laughs> so I'm like focusing on England, yeah. right? But then I got shown this new market and now I'm like, this is a completely new way of consuming sport. Yeah. Like, why not? So I definitely think, I, th I definitely think personality and risk taking and a little bit more authentic personality on show. So for example, yeah. if you're on camera, you're not playing the role of a presenter, you're actually just being you on camera and mm -hmm. I think uh, I think that's definitely a, a, a direction that I see it going in for sure. Yeah. And hopefully when it gets to the crux of it and it's time to like jump off the cliff and really go for it, then hopefully there are companies that are willing take to like risk, really yeah. take that plunge. I, I, to be honest, I think Sky Sports have been doing it. I yeah. think Sky Sports have seen certain things and gone, oh, do you know what? Maybe we don't need to be so... Because I'm seeing they're linking the two worlds, right? Yeah. Like you have kind of, yeah, the, the bigger traditional presenters and then they're also creating content based off of that and linking in with the community, the YouTubers for yeah. each um, different sports clubs and stuff. Exactly. And, it, and it's, and it feels anyway, and I'm, I'm, I'm a football fan, but maybe not a huge football fan, but um, yeah, I think they, it feels quite authentic. Like they just know when to take the risks and maybe take the risk here, which isn't huge, but you can test out maybe a, a new idea or market. So yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. I'm mindful of time. Um, and I know the majority of you probably got to go around <laughs> two-ish, um, which we're approaching now. So I thought we can just open it up to questions if anyone's got any questions and then we can just kind of bounce around for those that are able to stay <coughs> to listen to the answers of said questions. Hello. Right, just jumping in here to reread the questions because we want to keep everyone anonymous. So this question was, has your South Asian culture ever been an asset in your career journey in any way? Oh, that is wicked. Um, well, first of all, I like to think that my lack of diva-ness and my, my desire to be on time and be respectful <laughs> for things comes from my mum and dad saying, listen, you act out of line, you're going to find out. <laughs> I'm joking. But 
like yeah, I think I think my my humility or my humble my humble beginnings have kind of given they've grounded me a bit. Like when I go into these spaces, it's it's easy to get gassed when people are like looking at you and people are saying, "Oh, this was amazing," or "You've got a photo with this guy." But I think I think when I go back to my very Asian background, I I got off the plane from Qatar after the World Cup, landed and then drove to my uncle's house because my cousins were there just having food, and no one. No one really wanted to know about what, what, oh, did you just present at the World Cup? Tell us how it was. They kind of just wanted to know how I've been. They wanted to know if I wanted a plate of food. They wanted to know like what Arsenal were gonna do next season. They wanted to make fun of me. And, and I, think, I think that kind of really strong family unit has allowed me to have a mm. sense of perspective. Because I remember saying to one of my friends, Chucky, before I was getting into the game, he was like, what do you want to try and do? So I told him what I wanted to try and do. And at the end of it, I said, but if it doesn't work out, I can still go home and I've got a family and a wife that love me, so that's cool. And I think that comes from my Asian upbringing, mm -hmm. that sense of family and community. Um, that has given me an edge, yeah, for sure. Because I think as long as I don't get gassed, as long as I don't get ahead of myself and all of a sudden start thinking I'm way bigger than I am, then I think I'll have the, the, the level-headedness to just smash it and do whatever I want to do, so. That's such a good question, by the way. Mm. Really good, yeah. Anyone else? else? We saw a hand up. So this question was, you seem to be doing very well right now. Well done. Big up yourself. <laughs> but with an industry that is ever changing on a daily basis, how do you plan to maintain longevity within your career? So it's funny, we were literally having this conversation before we came. So the fact that you mentioned longevity is really funny because when I... When I stepped into the game, my, I first had this anxiety of, oh my God, I've started so late. Like there's all these people yeah, that are around me that are like well. seven, eight, nine years behind and they're starting to do what I'm doing now. But I've always realized that there's something inside me that when I see loads of people doing something, my instant reaction is to almost not want to do it. And when I ask myself why, it's because I have this opinion that cinema and, and film is long, right? And we've gone through time where content is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter, where like people wanna see things for a quicker amount of time. But I firmly believe that good cinema is always gonna be around. Like two, two hours to two and a half hours of great film is always gonna be around. And that's kind of the ethos that I like to go around, that there's a lot of re reactionary content that people think you should do. Or there's a lot of people that come to me and go, hey, aside from the presenting, have you thought about doing this on TikTok or have you thought about creating like a little series where my fit of the day on a Monday? And um, unfortunately, I always lead, well, not unfortunately, but I always lead myself to the feeling of, I don't want to do that. And when someone asks me why, and I have my answer in my head is always because I want to be here for 20 years. Because I want to, I always want to create great cinema. I always want to create a great film, regardless of this TikTok video that might be here today but won't be here in five years. So I think, it's, I think it's a huge motivation of mine. I think it forms a lot of the decisions that I wanna make. Um, when I was in Qatar, they, they said, oh, we need you to create some quick social content. And I sat down with them and I said, I'm not the guy to mm. be creating the quick social content. Like I need to tell stories. So then they said, well, what do you wanna tell? And then, then I managed to convince them to let me do like a four part documentary on different cultures of um, like Moroccan fans, Japanese fans at the World Cup and how their culture helps them support their team. So um, yeah, longevity is a huge thing for me. And hopefully I like to think that 
if you're all here in like 20 years, if you're all still in this office, then we could do this again and I'll <laughs> still be doing what I'm doing today. So yeah. Mate. Can I jump into to, to that question as well? Because I think it's something that Amos Rubin and myself speak about a lot. Um, and it's mirroring what you're saying. I think we always ask ourselves um, the why as to why you're doing a project, right? So even, let's take it back to this podcast, I think when we were first launching the podcast and it was just around um, during lockdown and um, we were like, we want to have conversations with South Asian people and we have this kind of similar thought pattern on, on what's going on in culture. And I think the reason why the pod is, has evolved and, and stayed strong for about three and a half years and we haven't to be able to pivot to live events and talks and not just stay on audio format is because we really spent months figuring out what the hell is the why of this project and then you don't really you don't be reactive because there's so many platforms popping up all the time and, and it is it can pull you and be like shit do we need to yeah do that and do we need to do that but if you always go back to that north star is what why the hell are we doing this that usually should be baked into why you really enjoy doing something creatively yeah. um and then even if something isn't of the moment you're still going to do it and you're going to kind of prolong it and, and do it for the long term and, and have hopefully longevity so and absolutely like when i when i look at what my end goal is um i guess i can share that with you but yeah essentially does anyone know who anthony bourdain is yeah yeah legend r.i.p so th his ability to use food, food as a <laughs> as a as an entry point to exploring humans all around the world what's good about them what's bad about them what's crazy mm. about them all of those things i want to tell stories like that i want to be on international platforms telling stories from people all around the world whether that's in sport um whether that's in food whether that's in politics whether that's in culture um so that's my end goal so when someone shows me a TikTok series <laughs> where they're like i don't know um interviewing people in a in a takeaway on TikTok. I like Chicken Shop Date, by the way. I'm not mentioning yeah, that. Yeah. But if they're like, for example, like, what's your favorite wing? And then running off or saying, how much rent do you pay in Peckham? Or, you know, the, yeah. the, them sort of videos. I don't feel the need to do that because I don't feel like that's getting me any closer to that my end goal. goal. So, um, yeah, important not to get distracted. Okay, this question was an interesting one. How many times have you been rejected and how do you deal with it? So all the time. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. If I had a penny for every time I got rejected, hey, I'll be a millionaire. <laughs> um, You're making more money yeah, 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 I'll be making bank. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think, I think the thing is, uh, as a creative, you face rejection far more than you face you've got the job, right? But it's just that because yeah. we're humans and we're like, really superficial we only tell you about the times we got the job so you see the last 10 posts on my instagram you're gonna be like what he's done a madness what is this 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 but i just <laughs> haven't posted the sixty thousand times someone said uh we'll get back to you or we're not looking for anyone now but we'll keep you in mind um i think the biggest thing that helps me is not taking things personally uh i've spoken to a lot of people that are really angry when someone doesn't get back to them and I'm like, bro, I was like, <laughs> I was like, you're not their child. I was like, they don't have like a moral or legal obligation to like keep you in the loop for things. You've mm -hmm. just got to stay ready for the opportunity. Like you've got to make the commitment that this is what you want to do. And then you've got to be um, ready in yourselves that when the opportunity comes, you're going to smash it. And then the rest, whether you want to leave it up to manifestation, whether you want to leave it up to the world, the rest is out of your hands. You know, mm -hmm. you, there's only certain things you can do. And I think, I think, 
rejection. I had a big rejection at the beginning of the season. I had a life-changing thing where I thought, if I get this, this is going to change the game for me. And the conversations I'd had all the way leading up to it were basically just we when you get you. back, we'll sign it off. And Can you tell us what that was? <laughs> oh, I'd love to. It's a bit close to home in IMG, though. Yeah. You know what? Let's just stay here for a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you remotely elude to it? Mm, can I? I don't know if I can. Like, when I say close. Will you? Oh, will I? Hmm. <laughs> like, when I say close, like, you know, like carnival when you see someone catching a wine. Oh, you're like, right, and there's no there's, space. There's zero space. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, is yeah. how, that is oh, how close shit. to home mm. it was. But essentially, okay. it was it was going to be a presenting gig for one of the biggest platforms out there um, to be basically going around and doing some great content over an extended period of time. Mm. And honestly, I thought I had it in the bag. The feedback that we'd been given, the conversations that we'd mm. had, the the texts outside of the formal text saying this is looking good were all there. So I was on holiday living my life going, when I get back, this is going to be amazing. Spending in advance. Yeah, I was spending <laughs> in advance. Don't do that. Ah, Don't brilliant. do that, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. My spending Amex is still advance, shaking. Man. My Amex is still shaking. Tap, 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 tap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jeez, man. <laughs> Woo! So, yeah. so um, and that, that rejection, I thought I was okay with it until I, well, I parked the car up, I think a couple of days after, and I just looked at my wife and I was like, I'm really not happy. And I was, yeah. then I started crying. But, but, and I, but that's natural for, yeah. for, for people in the creative space. Yeah. Wait, I wanna hear what yeah. You yeah. Said, and yeah. Then? yeah, I started crying. So, uh, so once I started crying, like she sat with me, she, she goes, all right, let it out. She goes, like, what do you think you could have done better? And I was like, genuinely, I don't think I could have done anything better. And she goes, so that's okay then. She goes, mm. everything that was asked of you, you delivered to the best of your ability. The rest of the decisions were out of your hand. You're not the person making the decision. So you can't be beating yourself up over something that wasn't in your control. So I took a deep breath, um, as I always have done when I get a rejection. I, I don't take it personally. I remind myself of the things that I have done, which mm. years ago would have seemed like a dream to me. If someone just said, you're gonna do this and then your career is gonna end, I probably would have taken it. Mm. Um, so yeah, you take a deep breath and then the, the rat race of like mm. trying Onto to gun for yourself one. and trying to get the next opportunity starts again. So that is the life of a creative. And I think the biggest advice I could ever give anyone is just don't take things personally. You're not that special. <laughs> um, the world wasn't designed to give you everything you wanted exactly where you wanted it but just be humble and, and don't let the wave of like self-doubt or don't let the wave of failure like knock you out because as long as you get back up, there's another big opportunity waiting for you. You know what? I have a bit of resistance to that don't take things personally thing, okay. right? And I'll share it with you because I used to kind of live by that. Okay. And like that moment when you didn't get that big gig and the emotions came up, that, that means there's something there, man. Mm. It's like, I think a lot of creatives and a lot of artists, they're very, very heart-led. They're in this, not for the money, not for the story, but because they truly feel it's their calling, right? Sure. So they're emotionally connected to that journey. So whether or not you don't take things personally, sometimes things are just going in that box, you know? Yeah. And then a big thing won't, won't happen, and then you would really feel it. And maybe, well, for me anyway, I realized that as much as I thought I wasn't taking things personally over a longer period of time, because I'm so invested in this idea, this mission or this dream, I'm going to feel it, man. Mm. And now I'm at this point where I'm trying to straddle the grave, right? I'm try trying to be, trying to be resilient, 
but also giving myself the the permission to feel something if I if I if I if I, if I feel let down. Well, well, that, that do you know what I mean? I, I guess the yeah, the let down thing is the little caveat there. But in terms of that, that's why I feel like I'm able to deal with it because after that first day of trying to ignore it, after that second day of going, oh well, life happens. The third day, I just cried. I was upset. I let it out. I asked myself, why am I upset? Kind of gave myself that, like, just uh, don't hide from it. That, that, that cry or that frustration, don't let that turn into resentment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I mean by not taking it personally, because I've seen some people that genuinely feel that the world is against them and there are, that person specifically woke up today and doesn't like me and doesn't want me to do anything. And I feel like that victimization of yourself, I think in the long term, will won't do as much good for you as being resilient will but be resilient whilst also allowing yourself the grace to feel how you feel to feel human and uh, yeah. I, I felt better after i cried of like um yeah i felt better after i cried and let it out and it just cleared my head now i've got yeah. bigger focuses now i've got bigger challenges mm. it's a huge year in the football calendar like the end of 2024 is going to be a madness and if i if if the plans that i'm putting into place hit off then it's going to be incredible. So that, that's why I'd rather, I'd rather focus my time on going, right, well, what's coming? What's the next thing mm -hmm. that I can look towards rather than give myself too much time indulging in what I thought I should have got. So, yeah. And this was a real deep one. Did you cry more in the car or when you got your Amex bill? <laughs> oh, that is a big one, you know. <laughs> Maybe he's avoided. Yeah, you actually out can't. Now, you it's know? funny. You actually can't cry about an Amex bill if you haven't opened the envelope. Uh, <laughs> so, some game for you there. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, no. I, I, I'd say about. I'd say the the crying and the Amex didn't materialize as much as the anxiety internally within. Um, but I'd like to say now that I am past it, we go again. Um, we're clear and uh, me and Amex are on good terms now. So, yeah. Definitely in sports, isn't it? you sound like a manager. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got another one, yeah. And the last question was, you referenced Stormzy and his circle of support. Who was in your circle to support you on the journey? Sure, so yeah, I was, uh, well, I'm in close, I'll touch on that in a second. So I think my circle is, a I'm a presenter, right? So it's a very individualistic thing. So in all, I'm not at the level yet where I need like, I've got an agent, thankfully, but I'm not at the level yet where I need like a, a stylist and a PR guy and a, and a tour guy organizing this thing. But at the core of it, what I do need is a support system to bounce ideas off. Uh, my wife, right there. Um, yeah, she's, she's a, a huge support system because she doesn't really care whether I'm a bin, well, I don't know. No, but she doesn't, well, she doesn't really care whether I'm a binman or a presenter on some of the biggest platforms in the world. She just, she cares about my self-interest. So she's not afraid to like tell me that she thinks I'm chatting shit or, or like, or that I'm like, I'm like getting things wrong. And same with my mom as well. But also the thing is I have to do a lot of things on my own instinct because in my community, I'm doing something that not a lot of my community can resonate with. Like my dad, didn't know how to describe my job to people when he was alive, God rest his soul. He, he didn't know how to describe, he was like, oh yeah, he did a journalism degree and now he's, um, 
he's doing some media thing which i don't know what <laughs> he's, he's on youtube yeah, he's yeah. doing something i don't know what he's doing or for example if i say oh i went here today and did this like the first question would often be like oh like did you get paid for it <laughs> and then you're like oh no and he's like why'd you do it then <laughs> and i was like oh for real i was like oh because it will it will help me get paid eventually so i'm actually doing something that no one in my family can relate to yet or not or many of my friends can relate to they're all in pretty solid respectable career jobs so i have to go a lot on my own instinct but i do have to rely on my mum and uh and my wife and my brother just to kind of tell me when I, when i'm when i'm going off track just keep me on track when i'm having self doubt which is all the time telling me that bro you're you're doing fine like don't worry about it and also just celebrating my wins when i get a big win you know when i got the call for qatar i remember i told my mom she just burst out crying i was genuinely like are you okay uh, but she burst out crying um the sacrifices that rida had to make when i was away for 5 weeks um those are my team and um oh the clothes i wear um so i mostly wear daily paper um which is my favorite brand big up daily paper um but there is a brand called rasta which is yeah a guy i i promise you look into it you'll love it yeah so it's high it's high fashion streetwear and designer wear made in pakistan and that blew my mind because i was like pakistan I was like we are known for like making Levi's jeans and then Levi sell them or we're <laughs> we're known for making Primark's clothing but like we're not known for like a designer making clothes that get debuted at Paris Fashion Week and London Fashion Week so Rasta came onto the scene um and there was a period I can't lie they they they've gone quite pricey now I can't lie um but I, there was a a conscious effort that I did that on camera I want to wear rasta like I want someone to see this hoodie and it has some like urdu writing on it some pakistani writing on it to to represent um for sure but yeah daily paper and rasta <laughs> that's 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 all I rock man that's, you know yeah I'm not being paid to say that by the way um yeah I just like them so but yeah in, in short I've babbled on like this was like a 6 hour answer but the the team for now is just the people closest to me that I can trust and the people that don't care whether i get one view or 1 million views that that's my team yeah i know we can wrap it up because i was actually going to ask another question but um yeah. i'm go just looking it. at time it's 20 uh, we got time for it okay go for it oh, well i was just you know you mentioned daily paper so obviously you gave the reasons why you like rasta but with daily paper aside from the design where itself what do you like about their story yeah man. um that that is a buy in so essentially ra- the reason why i connected so much to rasta was because i just felt like oh my god your story or your the why i resonate with you is exactly why i fell in love with daily paper but you're from where i'm from so daily paper is a collective of um uh, a guy from kenya a guy from somalia a guy from ghana they're born and raised in amsterdam and they created this fashion line which was basically using influences from where they're from to create fashion that crosses borders and um everything from their trousers to their t-shirts to everything i always thought the quality was great and i've i'm always into i i'm into brands that have a great story so you'll never catch me wearing something because like for example you'll you'll walk around and you can generally see which brand is in fashion because everyone seems to be wearing that same t-shirt i like to buy the story behind the clothing and i really resonated with daily paper and with rasta as well so um yeah yeah love that thank you yeah wicked does anyone have any more questions no um i'm going to throw one last one Ooh. at you right like 
we're really grateful for IMG creating a space for us to come come and do this. So big up Shannon and big up you guys in general. I just don't think many companies really look at South Asian Heritage Month as a thing. Mm. Like we've we've approached Lowe's and they didn't even know it existed. So for you guys to know it existed and program us like is is a great thing. Is there anything more other companies can do to support the South Asian creative community in your eyes? I had this conversation not long ago with uh, Dev Trehan and he's he basically championed South Asian footballers all around the world. Like he's the go-to guy for it. And I think he summarized it quite nicely that while it is important and incredible and amazing that a company of this scale, of this size, can celebrate South Asian Heritage Month, but it's also to keep these conversations and these activations going outside of the month. Like to have a more consistent tone of voice where our messaging and our stories are being told throughout the calendar year and not just like kind of squeezed into um, a month where we're then like, all right, cool, we'll see you next year. Like what, 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 what's happening in three months? Like why, like, do, like our messaging and our stories need to be told across a wider period of time. Um, and I think that will remove that will remove in some people's eyes, that will remove the tokenism of it. That, okay, in South Asian Heritage Month, I came and heard your story and that was really sweet. And then I went for the next 11 months, I didn't think about it until it was time for me to think about it again. So while this is an incredible thing, I think the next stage of this is to continue that messaging over an extended period of time so that people can actually realize that we're not South Asian podcasters or South Asian presenters. We are presenters and podcasters that happen to be from South Asia. Mm. Or we're not a South Asian athlete, or we are an athlete in football that is born in that is born uh, on the subcontinent. So it's like, hopefully that will help us get out of the boxes that have been wrongly or rightly placed on yeah. us. And to kind of bring it back to a point that you were speaking about, I think culture drives so much stuff anyway. So for me, like when I'm working in film and fashion as well, it's and I'm having these conversations around those kind of um, kind of categories, it's the same thing. It's like if you're interested in doing creative stuff and you're looking at on the edges and whether it's entertainment, programming, on the inside, you want to be aware, of, or I feel you should be, want to be aware of all of this stuff going on, whether it's South Asian Heritage Month or you know something different. Um, so I think that ties into it not just being a month. It's like programming that just keeps you aware of interesting stuff across different diasporas and culture um should be should be a thing that a lot of the creative industries need to keep keep kind of funneling to, to drive their creativity and ultimately revenue as well right so danielle yeah thank you so much for joining thank us pleasure, you. Really pleasure. round of applause please for danielle khan thank you, thank you. what is this behavior Join me in celebrating the charismatic storyteller that is Danielle Khan. I particularly loved how well he knows himself in the kind of content he wants to put out. In a world where fast-paced, quick-form content is the thing that supposedly sells, Danielle says no. Actually, layered storytelling and intelligent broadcasting is valuable to him and is his contribution into the sports world. Something I absolutely resonate with is at the heart, Danielle's charisma is grounded by his support system. His family, his friends, the people around him, especially his wife, 
The ones closest to Danielle keep him balanced, challenging him when needed and ultimately creating the perfect springboard to support his creativity and help him navigate his flourishing career. If you're thinking about access into the industry, something that can be taken from Danielle's uh, story is carving out your own way. We are living in a world where there is no blueprint anymore. Find out who you are at the core and find out how you want to move, who aligns with you, who's paying attention to you and always go where love lives for you. The What Is This Behaviour podcast really believe in the elevation of South Asian people in sports and we hope more stories like Danielle's can encourage you, your friends or your community to get more involved in this industry. We're talented, do you know what I mean? Thank you for listening to episode 81 of the What Is This Behaviour podcast with our very special guest, Danielle Khan. I'm Al Maspadat and I'm out. What is this behaviour? Do you want it? You're dying for it!